Well, we want you to take a Bible now and let's open it together to 1 Samuel chapter 20 as we continue in our study of the life of the great man of God, David. And if you didn't bring a Bible today, we've got a copy of the Bible you can borrow right on the back of the seat in front of you. We're going to be on page 206, page 206 of our copy of the Bible, or 1 Samuel chapter 20 in your copy. You know, boxer Mike Tyson was recently asked if he trusted his friend and his promoter, Don King. He answered and said, it all depends on what I'm trusting him with. Now, I understand what Mike Tyson's saying, don't you? What he's really saying is, hey, there is no friend that you can trust 100%. I mean, when push comes to shove, sooner or later, there's nobody who at some point won't let you down. We're going to look today in the Bible at a guy named Jonathan. And Jonathan is the kind of friend that Mike Tyson has a very hard time believing could ever exist. When you think of the words true blue, uh, Jonathan is the living embodiment of the words true blue. And what I want us to do is see if we can distill out of Jonathan's life a definition, a, a picture of what it means to be a real friend to somebody. And then I want to see if I can motivate us to commit ourselves to be these kind of friends in Jesus' name to the people that we know as Christians. So let's look together here in chapter 20. Remember, uh, David's on the run. <clears throat> Saul is out to get him. And he comes now and he talks to his friend, Jonathan, Saul's son. We pick up at verse 1. And then David fled from Naoth in Ramah, that's a place, and he went to Jonathan and he asked, What have I done, Jonathan? And what is my crime? And how have I wronged your father, your sick, unbalanced, insane father, that he would try to take my life like this? And Jonathan said, never. It's not going to happen. You are not going to die. My father never does anything without telling me, and I'm your friend, and I will warn you, and you'll always be one step ahead of my dad. David said, no, I don't think so, Jonathan, verse 3. He said, your dad knows you and I are friends, and he's not going to tell you anything, and that's gonna, that means I'm going to be a dead man. Verse 4. And so Jonathan said to David, David, whatever you want me to do, You just tell me, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it for you. What do you want me to do? Well, let me summarize a little bit. David says to Jonathan, Jonathan, here's what I want you to do. I want you to give me permission to go see my family in Bethlehem. And then tomorrow night when everybody gets together around the king's table for dinner and I'm not there, and he asks for me, I want you to watch and see what his reaction is. And if he's furious that I'm not there, you'll know that he had a trap that was set and he was going to kill me at dinner. And then I need you not to betray me. I need you to let me know and warn me so I can head for the hills. And verse 16 says, so Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. Verse 17, and Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath to Jonathan out of love for him because he, Jonathan, loved him, David, as he, Jonathan, loved himself. What a wonderful statement. Jonathan loved David the way Jonathan loved himself. How did it go? Well, Jonathan went to dinner just the way David uh, planned, and he and David had set up a little way that he could signal David by shooting a bunch of arrows into the field, if you know the story. And he went to dinner, and sure enough, Saul, the dad, his dad asked him, Jonathan, where's David? And, and Jonathan said, well, I, I let David, you know, go to Bethlehem. I told him it was all right to go see his dad. And Saul went ballistic. Pick up with me, if you would, at verse 30. And Saul said to him, said to his son Jonathan, he said, Jonathan... 
you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Now that's Bible cussing, okay? Don't I know that you've sided with the son of David, with Jesse, with David to your own shame and the shame of your mother who bore you? What is wrong with you, man? Where are your loyalties? And, and what, are you stupid? Don't you realize, he says in verse 31, that you're the next person in line to be king? And as long as you keep promoting this guy, David, you're never going to be king. Now bring him to me and I'll do your dirty work for you, Jonathan. I'll slit his throat. We'll put him in the grave and we'll ensure you're going to be the next king. And Jonathan, verse 32, said to his dad, Father, what has he done that he should be put to death? Why should you do this to him? You got David all wrong, man. And, and when Saul heard this, he hurled his spear at Jonathan to kill Jonathan. And then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. I'd say that's an understatement, wouldn't you? Pretty clear. So he goes out in the field and he warns David just the way they had agreed. Pick up with me down at verse 41. And after the boy who was part of this warning scheme had gone, David got up from behind the rock where he was hiding and he bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground and they kissed each other and they wept together. But David wept the most. What a touching scene this much of, must have been as these two friends wept on one another's shoulders. And David, the Bible says, wept the most. Because he knew what this really meant. He knew it meant he was going to be an outlaw the rest of his life until Saul was gone. He knew it meant that as long as Saul was alive now, he was going to be on the run. And he knew that it meant that he and Jonathan would probably never see each other again. Well, just for the sake of completeness, let's finish. What really did happen with Jonathan and David? The Bible records that they only saw each other alive one other time before Jonathan was killed. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But Jonathan stood with his dad and he stayed loyal to his dad, even though his dad was sick, even though his dad was deranged, even though his dad was paranoid, even though his dad was wrong. He stood and was loyal to his dad and he died alongside of his dad fighting the Philistines. This is a man who understood what loyalty was all about. And when he died, David, the Bible says, was devastated because David realized you just don't find a friend like this very often. This is a once in a lifetime sort of friend. Now, I think the relationship between Jonathan and David in the Bible is one of the most heartwarming friendships ever recorded in human history. And, and, and they were soulmates. They were bosom buddies. They were amigos. And what's really shameful is that some people with their own agenda have come to this friendship and have read into it things that are not there, that don't belong there. People have come and said this was a homosexual relationship between Jonathan and David, that they were homosexual lovers, and as a result of that, this is a biblical basis for homosexuality right here in the Bible. My friends, nothing could be farther from the truth. The Bible knows about homosexuality. The Bible is perfectly capable of describing homosexuality when it happens. If you don't believe me, read Genesis 19 where the Bible describes the homosexuality in Sodom and Gomorrah. Read Judges 19 where the Bible tells us that during the period of the Judges, some of the tribe of Benjamin got involved in homosexual activity. Read Romans chapter 1. The Bible does not protect its heroes. If there had been homosexual activity going on, we would have known about it. And the reason the Bible 
Bible doesn't tell us of any is very simple. There was none. This was a God-honoring, wholesome friendship between two young men of God. And to read anything else into it is to bring your own agenda to the Bible and try to make the Bible justify your agenda that is not here. This was not a homosexual relationship, nothing of the kind. It was two godly young men who were best friends. And that's all that's here. Now, that's the end of our passage, but it leads us to ask a really important question. And what's that question? So what? So what? Right. I don't know if you've ever had a friend like, uh, like Jonathan or a friend or two like him. But Brenda and I have had the privilege of having a few friends like this in our lives. And two of them that immediately come to, not, uh, to mind are Gordy and Sue Langley. Some of you know them. They come to this church. In the first two years of my daughter's illness, my daughter is five years old. She has a very serious seizure problem. She has the mentality of about a nine-month-old. And in the first two years of Jill's illness, things were awful. It was the deepest waters of our marriage and the deepest waters of our lives. Jill had massive amounts of uncontrollable seizures. She would stop breathing. I would have to give her CPR while we waited for the rescue squad to arrive. The rescue squad was at our house two, three, four nights a week. We were on a first-name basis with the rescue squad. This is not good. You don't want to be on a first-name basis with the rescue squad. They would transport Jill to Fairfax Hospital, put her in ICU for one night, two nights, three nights. One of us would have to stay there in the hospital with her. We'd switch off. One of us coming home to get a shower and get some sleep and a little bit of food while the other one stayed there. When they finally sent Jill home, she'd be up most of the night, most nights, having seizures. We weren't getting any sleep. We were like walking zombies. And at that point, Sue and Gordy injected themselves into our lives like a Jewish mother. They'd call us on the telephone and they would say, we're on our way over with dinner. And we'd say, no, no, no. We were exhausted. We were, we were drained. We didn't want to see anybody. We, just, we were in such pain. We just wanted to crawl up in our little hole and have everybody leave us alone. And they would say, no, 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 we're coming over. And we'd go, no, don't come over. And they'd go, it's too late. Dinner's already fixed. We're already in the car. We'll be there in 20 minutes. And they'd come in the house and serve dinner and clean up. They would come to the hospital and relieve us. They'd call and pray with us on the telephone. They'd send us flowers. They'd make us get a babysitter and go out to dinner and a movie with them. They would take care of our boys when we were in the hospital with Jill. Uh, when my son started going to the Naval Academy, if Jill was too sick on a Sunday, Gordy would get in the car and give Jamie a ride back to Annapolis if I couldn't go do it. They prayed with us. They hurt with us. They cried with us. They grieved with us. And I tell you the truth, I don't know how we'd have made it through those two years without Gordy and Sue. And if you're privileged enough to have two or three or four friends like that in a lifetime, God's been good to you. God's been good to you. But you know, there was something I realized when we were going through all this. I realized, you know, Lon, God doesn't want you just to have friends like Gordy and Sue. God wants you to be a friend to other people the way these people are being a friend to you. And if you're a Christian and you're here, may I say God wants you to be a friend to the people in your school, your family, your neighborhood, your office, the way Jonathan was to David, the way Gordy and Sue were to us. You say, well, Lon, why should I? I mean, that takes a lot of effort. That takes a lot of work. Why should I put myself out like that? Good question. Let me answer it. Because as a Christian, Jesus Christ didn't leave you and me here to live and build our own little kingdoms and see how much stuff we could pile up. Jesus left us here to make an impact on other people's lives for him. That's the only reason you and I are still here, folks. Get it straight. 
And in our world today, if you're going to talk to somebody about Jesus Christ and you're going to try to bring them to a decision point in their life for Jesus Christ, you and I have to earn the platform. We have to earn the right to talk to people like that in this world. And the greatest way I know to earn the right to talk to somebody like that is to be a real friend to them. That'll open up more opportunity for you to share Christ than any other single thing you and I could ever do. So why should you do this? Because your ability to fulfill God's mission for your life of reaching people for Christ is directly tied to what kind of friend you are. The better friend you are, the more God can use you. Now, if you care about God using you, and I hope you do, then I've got four suggestions, four characteristics, four marks of what it means to be a true friend. You know, I'm 48 years old, and I'm just beginning... Actually, I'm 49. I'm sorry. Um, thank you. I know. Um, <laughs> um, I just turned. That's, that's what I forgot. But anyway... Um, and I'm just learning what it means to be a real friend. I mean, I mean this honestly. God, I'm just finally beginning to figure this out. And, and so maybe some of you are here, and you're not sure what a real friend really does either. Well, I'm going to tell you four things that mark a true friend so that you and I have got, well, you know, kind of a standard that we can compare ourselves to to see how we're doing. And they're all illustrated in Jonathan's life right here in this chapter. Okay, number one. Principle number one. A true friend is a person who loves you unselfishly. A true friend is a person who loves you unselfishly. Remember what Jonathan said to David right back here in verse 4? He said, David, whatever you want me to do for you, I'll do it. You name it. There is nothing you can tell me or ask me for, David, that I won't do for you. My greatest joy in life comes from, from meeting your needs and serving you, David. And this is the mark of a true friend. Their greatest desire is to serve you. Their greatest joy comes from helping you. They don't keep score. They don't keep a running tally. They don't have a list over here of what they've done and a list over here of what you've done. And they're always comparing to see which list is longer. That's not a true friend. A true friend is anxious to give you whatever you need, whenever you need it. And they're so unselfish and they're so devoted to helping you that, frankly, it's a little eerie. It's a little scary sometimes. You wonder, what are they really up to? Nobody can just want to do this much for me. But a real friend does. You know, in those early years, I began to feel terribly guilty. Guilty that Gordy and Sue were giving, 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 and we were taking, 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 taking. And I felt awful about that. And finally, one time, I remember going to Sue and saying, you know, I have got to figure out some way to repay you guys. I have got to figure out some way to compensate back to you people for all you've done for us. You don't know how much you've done for us. And if I live to be 100 years old, I'll never forget what Sue said to me. She said, Lon, nobody's keeping score. We just love you guys. What a wonderful friend to have. And, and I'll tell you something. That's the kind of friend Jonathan was to David. And that's the kind of friend God wants us to be to other people. Number two, a true friend is a person who will stand with you regardless what it costs them. They will stay with you regardless the price they have to pay to stay with you. Now, you know, Jonathan had to pay a big price to stay with David. First of all, his dad tried to kill him. And second of all, as his dad reminded him right in verse, which we looked at right here in verse 32, his dad reminded him, hey, as long as you keep defending David, you're never going to be king. Don't you understand, Jonathan? His dad said to him, you are giving up the chance to be the king of Israel because of your friendship with this man. Now, don't be stupid. Turn the guy over to us. Let us kill him so you can be king. But you know what? 
Jonathan wasn't about to do that because Jonathan didn't care about being king as much as he cared about being a friend to David. And, and he was loyal to a fault even. This is the way friends are. They will suffer loss personally before they will let you down. That's a friend. You know, when Promise Keepers came to town, what, a couple weeks ago, uh, standing in the gap, uh, I had a friend coming in from Seattle. This is a man, one of my best friends in the world. He'd come to know Christ here at McLean Bible Church. I'd worked with him every Wednesday that we were in town for three years, personally, one-on-one, helping him grow in his walk with Christ. He moved to Seattle, a job move, and he was coming back for Promise Keepers. And so a couple weeks uh, before that event, we agreed Friday we were going to play golf. I'd work ahead. We'd get the day clear. We're going to play golf together the day before Promise Keepers. You say, aha. I knew it. I knew the man does nothing but play golf all week. I knew it. (laughs) Friends, if you ever saw me on the golf course, you would know I don't get out there very often. In fact, for me, I do so bad that for me, a great day has nothing to do with the score. It has to do with whether I find more balls than I lose. (laughs) See, at $3 a ball, if I'm up at the end of the day, you know my background. This has been a great day. It doesn't matter what you shoot. Doesn't matter what you shoot. So my friend and I are going out to play golf. I had my clubs in the car. I'm walking out the door, literally walking out the door. The phone rings, and it was uh, someone calling about CNN International, wanted me to come down and do an, an interview about Promise Keepers that afternoon in Washington. So I said, well... Where, where is this going to be broadcast, you know? And they said, well, we, all over the world. I said, well... What time were they interested in having me come down there? And my secretary told me. And we wouldn't even got nine holes of golf in. So I said, no, you need to call them back and tell them that uh, I'm busy. I can't come. And instead, we sent Johnny Parker from our staff who went down and did a wonderful job. Johnny did a, did a better job than I'd have done anyway. And so when we were talking, someone said, they said to me, well, if they ask, what is he doing? What, what is so important? That he can't come down and go on international television. What do we say? And I said, tell him I'm playing golf with my friend. They said, what? I said, tell him I'm playing golf with my friend. They said, you can't tell CNN you're playing golf. I said, tell him I'm playing golf with my friend. That's the truth, right? Tell him I'm playing golf with my friend. And he called and asked me before they did, and I'm playing golf with my friend. And I played golf with my friend. And I had a wonderful time. You know what I would have done five years ago? I'd have tanked my friend. And I'd have gone down to CNN. And I'd have, said, I'd have done it because I wanted my name in lights. And I'd have done it because I wanted everybody to know who I was. And I'd have wanted the notoriety of it all. But you know, five years of suffering and watching people be friends to us, God's taught me something about friendship. God's taught me you don't treat your friends like that. You don't do that to a friend. And so I went and played golf with my friend. And you know what? The success of McLean Bible Church is not going to rise or fall one bit on whether my ugly puss was on CNN. You know that? Not going to make one bit of difference whatsoever. But I ran the risk of damaging a friend severely. I'm not going to do that. God's taught me something. Thank God I'm still able to learn. Have you learned that about your friends? Have you learned that friends come first? Not you, not your advancement. And if you have to pay a price to be loyal to your friend, you pay it. That's what a friend does. Number three. A true friend is a person who's always out to encourage you. No matter how low you are, no matter how depressed you are, no matter how down you are, even if you got yourself in the mess, doesn't matter. A friend is there to always put their arm around you and try to lift you up, particularly if you're a Christian, to lift you up in the Lord. 
Now, remember I said David and Jonathan only met one other time alive in their lives? Can I show it to you? It's in chapter 23. Flip over a couple pages. Here's the only other time they met that the Bible records. Look what it says here in chapter 23. Look at verse 14. It says, And David stayed in the desert, strongholds, and the, ki- the hills of the desert, and day after day Saul was out searching for him to kill him. Saul had search parties all over everywhere trying to find David to kill him, but God did not give David into his hands. Verse 16, And Saul's son Jonathan went to David. He braved all of these search parties who might have found him instead going to David, worked his way through, found David, and look what it says here, and when he found him, look what he did, verse 16, he helped David find strength in God. Is that a wonderful statement? Another translation says he encouraged David in God. This is what a friend does. And he said to him, David, listen, do not be afraid. David was scared. He was tired. He was exhausted. He he was living in caves. He was malnourished. The man was low. He said, David, do, be, do not be afraid. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. <clears throat> you will be king. God has given you the promise. Now, man, come on. You need to get your tail off the ground. You need to get your focus back on God. You need to know God's going to protect you and make you king. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You wrote that, David. Now it's time to live it, son. Okay, okay, okay. How many Cleveland Indian fans do we have here? Go ahead. All right. Everybody pick a hymn book and throw it. All right. <clears throat> Raise your hands again so we can hit you. Come on. So we know we're... Hey, you know, I feel terrible. Can you imagine? It was that awful the Orioles got beat like that. And you know what? Uh, I think the turning point of the series was game three. That's the one that ended in the 12th inning with the foul ball that wasn't a foul ball. That was a stolen base, sort of. That was the only game in Major League history to end in that postseason play with a steal of home. You remember that crazy game? Marquise Grissom did it, but you know, three innings earlier, he was a bum. Oral Hershiser had thrown a wonderful game, shutout game, four-hit game, top of the ninth inning, closing out the game. The game is over. A couple of outs, and it's done. Hershiser has his win. Hershiser has his shutout. And Brady Anderson hits his fly ball to center field in the top of the ninth inning. Marquise Grissom lost it. Had no idea where it was. Routine fly ball. The thing drops. The tying run scores. Hershiser loses the win. Hershiser loses the shutout. He loses it all. Marquise Grissom said when he ran off the field, I'm quoting from USA Today, he said, I felt the most sorry for Oral because he pitched a great ball game. So here comes Grissom running off the field, feeling awful. You know the question I wanted to know? Where was Oral Hershiser? That's what I wanted to know. Because I'll tell you where a lot of people would have been. They would have been over in the corner of the dugout or back in the dressing room, licking their wounds, feeling sorry for themselves, throwing Gatorade bottles around and coolers around, kicking lockers. You know where Oral Hershiser was, USA Today said? It said when Grissom came off the field, the very first teammate to meet him at the top of the dugout was guess who? Oral Hershiser. And put his arm around him. And here's what he said to him, and I quote from the paper. He said, Marquise, if you didn't see that ball, nobody else in the world would have seen it. I want you to know that I would be happy to have you play center field for me anytime. Is that a wonderful thing? The guy just lost his shutout. The guy just lost the game, his chance to win the game. But here he is thinking about Marquise because Marquise is his friend. And he's trying to encourage his friend who feels awful. This is what friends do. Friends are always looking for a way to encourage and pick their friends up. 
Fourth and finally, a true friend is a person who loves you unconditionally. They can see you at your lowest, they can see you at your ugliest, and they still love you. You can bleed all over them, and it's okay. You can unload all your frustrations on them, and it's okay. You can hurt all over this person, and they'll hurt with you. You can complain, and they'll listen. You can expose your deepest vulnerabilities, and it won't make one bit of difference how they feel about you. You don't have to fake it. You don't have to put the plastic on. You don't have to perform a certain way for them to love you. They just love you. Now, this is how Jonathan loved David. Just remember now, how did this conversation between the two of them start in verse 1? David shows up and says, hey, Jonathan, your dad is a nutcase, man. Your dad is crazy. Your dad is insane. He ought to be put in an institution somewhere. He needs to be put in an inpatient facility. He's a sick man. Now, a shallower friend would have said, don't you talk that way about my dad now. Don't you talk that way about my dad now. But Jonathan was like, there was nothing David could say, nothing David could do, nothing David could ever think or feel that would cause Jonathan to stop being his friend. That's a real friend. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a friend like that? Somebody who, regardless of your performance and regardless of your shortcomings, they're always there for you. You know, folks, if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior... What you're missing out on is not just a ticket to heaven. You are missing out on that. But you're missing out on a lot more than just that. You're also missing out on being able to be showered by Jesus Christ with exactly this kind of love. The greatest love the world has ever known. Unconditional love. The Bible says, Romans chapter 5 verse 8, that God proved, God demonstrated the kind of love that he has for you and me. In that while we were yet sinners, while our performance was awful... Jesus went to the cross and Jesus said, no greater love has one person for another than this, that a person would lay down their life for their friend. Jesus laid down his life for you as his friend when your performance was terrible. Because he loves you unconditionally. And and if you've never embraced Jesus Christ as your personal savior, not only are we sad that you're missing out on the chance perhaps to go to heaven, but even we're just as sad that every day you're going through life missing out on being showered with the greatest unconditional healing love in the universe. Jesus wants to pour it all over you if you just give him a chance in your life. Something to think about. And if you're here and you're a Christian, friends, God wants us to go out and love other people as small mirrors of the way he loves us. That's all Jonathan did. Jonathan loved David with the same kind of love that God loved Jonathan. He was just a little picture of the love of God. And that's what God wants us to be. What have we learned today? Four marks of what it means to be a true friend. Number one, a true friend is a person who loves his friends, loves her friends unselfishly. Number two, a true friend is a person who stands up for their friends, even though it may cost us something. Number three, a true friend is a person who's always looking to encourage their friend in the Lord. And number four, a true friend is somebody who loves you unconditionally. You don't have to keep up the plastic with this person. They just love you because they love you because they love you. I want you to take a moment and think about the five best friends you have in the world. Okay, if I ask you, who are your five best friends? Who would you who would you say? And then I want you once you've thought about that for a second, I want you to ask yourself a question. Here's the question. Am I the kind of friend to these people that we've just talked about?
Am I the kind of friend to them that Jonathan was to David? Am I a giver or my taker? Do I really know how to be the kind of friend that we've just talked about this morning? It's a searching question. And you know what? When I took the test, I didn't do too good. I don't know how you did. But I appreciate what God taught me here because this is going to help me be a better friend. I got some idea what I'm shooting for now. And I hope with God's help, this is going to help you to have a better idea what you're shooting for when it comes to being a friend. And that you'll go out this week to your school, to your office, to people in your family, to people in your neighborhood and say, God, you help me. I've got a better picture now what a friend is. And in Jesus' name, you help me be a good friend to people. And then use that platform not to have everybody say, oh, aren't you nice? But instead, to try to bring people to a decision point in Jesus Christ in their lives. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you know that every one of us, every Christian here, struggles with me first. We're just human, Lord. Jonathan struggled with that. But this man had pressed beyond that to become a giver, not a taker. And to find his greatest joy in life in being a good, loyal friend to David, to his dad, to everyone he met. Lord Jesus, take Jonathan's example and inspire us with it today. Forgive us for being so self-motivated. Forgive us, Lord, for worrying so much about self-advancement. And teach us that you will worry about self-advancement for us. If we will be the kind of friends you want us to be. In the name of Jesus to others. So that you can use that platform to reach them for Christ. So, Father, with your help, may we go out this week understanding what it means and being determined to be good friends to people. And may that be a way that you can use us for your glory, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.